Hey guys, and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh Fitness Podcast. So guys, thank you so much for all your amazing support via lockdown. It has been amazing for the comments. The amount of downloads has gone through the roof and I've been very, very lucky to to interview the amount of people that I have and the, and the caliber of the person that I've, I've had on as well. Uh, so your support has been amazing. So thank you so much for that. So this week's guest is a guest I've been trying to get on for a while. We the, the the, the stars haven't aligned and the, the, the schedules haven't aligned and it's it's amazing to finally get Anna on. So this week's guest is Anna Geary. So Anna is a performance and lifestyle coach, PT co-host of Today FM sports show Pumped Up Kicks, former All-Ireland winning Camogie captain with Cork. She has amassed over 20 All-Ireland medals, including four senior All-Ireland medals with Cork and three senior club medals. Six-time All-Star, winning coach on Ortiz, Ireland's fitness family and ambassador for Pieta House. Anna, thank you so much for coming on. Delighted to chat with you, Shane. It's, uh, it's definitely a testing time, but I suppose it's given us the opportunity to, to use the time to do some different things. And uh, that's why we find ourselves chatting today. Exactly, and I know it's been a, it's been mental busy for you before lockdown and stuff like that. So we were chatting all fair, and uh, it, it's great to have you finally on because I know you're you're a, you're a person for a big personality, but also you're very bubbly and very very positive, and you seem to have a very very positive outlook on a lot of things. And we've the chat or the the t shirt has just made his announcement as we kind of before we came on air. So how are you feeling about things since then? Yeah, like I think it's been great. I mean it's been a relief really I think to know that all of the hard work that people in Ireland are putting in is paying off because I suppose the realistic worry for a lot of people was that all this hard work might have only been a drop in the ocean that you know the roadmap could have been challenged it could have been deferred and delayed so it's brilliant to know that things are moving forward at a faster rate than anyone anticipated and that has to give you a lift because we've been in this now for almost three months and that's it seems like it's been so much longer because everybody is adjusting to the lifestyle that we have and I don't like to call it the new normal because for me I have no intention of making this my new normal I really miss my friends and family and even my I suppose my work is very different at the moment I'm like you said I'm used to being really busy and I love the energy that comes from filling my days with them with work and it's been a real challenge for me. Like, thankfully, I still have the radio show every weekend, Pumped Up Kicks, and that even has taken on a new life of its own because it's a sports show and there's been no sporting events, but it's allowed us to almost, like, extend the remit to different aspects of sport that we wouldn't have covered before. So whether that's around the importance of your sleep, hydration, mental fitness, talking to top experts in, in all different types of strength conditioning capacities, talking to athletes about their lives now in lockdown, what they're doing and, and how they're coping. It's been brilliant, I suppose, to to really start including those. And it's given us a, really a renewed sense of purpose because apart from my work as a performance coach, moving virtually to a point, um, a lot of the filming that we'd be doing, Ireland's Fittest Family has been delayed. You know, some other projects have been put on hold. A lot of my work with companies going into them now has been completely put on hold because a lot of companies you know they don't even know if they're going to go back into their offices in 2020 if even so it's been challenging but I guess you know that's where creativity um tries to shine if you let it and I had to have a chat with myself I think for the first few weeks of lockdown because I overwhelmed myself with the lists you know we all know those to-do lists and I love to-do lists I mean I write lists about lists and I found in the first few weeks Shane I had set myself all of these tasks of what I wanted to do and what I wanted to achieve. And then suddenly I totally didn't factor in how I was going to feel emotionally and, and mentally. And that, you know, some days I'd wake up and I'd be like, oh, you know, this is giving me the time to write new content. And then another day I'd get up and I'd say, I don't want to do anything because I miss my mom and I miss my friends and I don't want to be stuck at home. And, you know, I think we all have to, we all have to just realize as well, you know, and, and even now we've a long way to go that this has been a pandemic not a productivity contest so if you did nothing in these last three months except survive every day well then you did enough you know you didn't need to learn how to do a handstand or bake that famous banana bread or <laughs> you know all we all know it and like more power to the people that have really embraced this time but if you haven't been one of those people well that's okay as well and I have to tell myself that like I have to talk to myself sometimes about that way it's okay if it's not going to be the most productive time of your life. It's just about a time that you have to just learn to get through. 
Yeah, it is. And I think I think definitely at the beginning of lockdown, I was kind of like, right, I have to do X, Y and Z. And like yourself, I'm, I have a list in front of me as we speak. So I'm a list of a list of a list. And it's 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 interesting when you're when you work for yourself, you're always trying to think of like content or you're always trying to think of what else can I do or what can I change or how can I adapt? And it is interesting that I think we all think that our, our problems are only for ourselves. We don't necessarily think other people are going through them as well. Yeah. Well, that, like, see, social media has a lot of a part to play in that too because you look at people's lives in social media and even though there's a logical part of our brain telling us this is a highlights reel, this isn't real life, you still can't help be dragged into that world where you're looking at what everyone else is doing. And we interviewed Danny from the Coronas recently and he, he was so honest and he just said, I was thinking, and I made the false assumption that this should be every songwriter's dream. Like you're locked into a house, you can't go anywhere, you're there with your guitar, with your studio. And and he just said, I wasn't able to write songs because I wasn't in the right headspace. Like my mind wasn't committed to it, nor was my heart because I was worried about different things. And I just thought, well, if he's admitting that he hasn't had the most productive time, well, then I'm not doing too badly because I would have thought they were ideal circumstances for him. So I think like one of the things I would say to people around social media sometimes as well is I've taken a little bit. I mean, I still love social media, don't get me wrong, I'm still on it, like, the most days. But I've definitely come off it in terms of the amount of time and the pages that I look at, because I found that at the start, I was nearly being overwhelmed by the amount of things that other people were doing and the amount of things that I don't. Um, and, like, I mentioned that to you before, about, like, for a lot of us even, how many of us use our, um, our phone as our alarm clock? And I, I did for a long time. So you find that, okay, your alarm goes off sometimes four or five times. You're like me to hit the snooze button. And suddenly the phone is in your hand. And without even realizing it, you're, you know, scrolling either in social media or emails or reading the news. And you've put yourself in such a reactive state because you're thinking, oh, my God, like Mary's already up and she's the kitchen clean and she's the dinner on and she's gone to the run and I'm not even out of bed. And, you know, she's so much better than I am. And we're so we're so negative on ourselves and like the self-talk is it's insane how negative it can be you'd never talk to your best friend like that because she wouldn't be your best friend 100%. we think it's totally okay to talk to ourselves like that so i try and first thing in the morning now not look at the phone not worry about what anyone else is doing and kind of set my own intentions for the day and it's definitely during this time it's it served me I think, well, like from what you're saying there about kind of like the mornings and stuff like that, if you were to look through the the most successful people, either in business or in sport, they all have a morning routine that they stick to. So if you mm-hmm. look at the likes of, say, Richard Branson or Mark Zuckerberg or any of the athletes, they all have a a morning routine. Uh, it's either getting up to do a little bit of stretching or else if you look at Jay Alderton, Jay Alderton goes for a cold swim most mornings just to kind of wake himself up. And it's a great way to start the day. And I think that is a nice little thing that you can kind of, like if you can stay off your phone, put your phone into the other room, put your phone, just turn your phone off. I think we're all addicted to our phone. And when you wake up initially anyway, your body is the most stressed it is anyway. So if you're escalating that even further by having this comparison to the thief of joy thing, by looking at other people's lives saying, oh, Mary's down the road, has already dropped the kids off, has, has them ready, has given them a haircut, has given them everything else that's not going to stand you to in good stead at all. Yeah, and I think it, it's a challenge, you know, and I'm not going to say that I'm successful every day. Um, I still um, use the excuse at times, but I need to charge my phone and the plug socket is by my bed, so I'm just going to charge my phone and then I'll fall into the bad habits. But I think it's it's trying to do do it for the most part as often as you can, 100%. you know, and it's about making small changes. So with me even doing things like putting my phone on airplane mode when I maybe I need to write a bit of content or I need to clear my head if I'm preparing a talk and even knowing that I can't be contacted during that time just by simply putting the phone on airplane mode it means no notifications are coming in I'm not seeing email notifications I'm not seeing text messages and it does give me that kind of space to be present because we all have so many distractions there's so many distractions in our houses even more so even than in our workplaces so it's about kind of setting yourself boundaries around certain things that you do every day to make sure that you can actually allow yourself the room to think. Because like I was speaking with people recently about this idea of creating habits. And the funny thing about our brain is our brain acknowledges that we have habits formed in our everyday lives. 
but it doesn't decipher if they're good habits or bad habits. All it knows is that you are doing this thing like unconsciously consistently over the course of your daily life. So it's up to us to make sure that the habits that we're actually building are actually good habits. And like I would say to people, they say, oh, I have to try and break that habit. To me, it's a lot easier to build a new habit than it is to break down an old one. So rather than focusing on trying to break down old habits, build new ones. So even if you take like food, for example, people are like, oh, but I eat, you know, I eat too much of carbohydrates or my dinner or I eat too many sugary things. Rather than trying to cut that out, add something in and then add it. So it's like, okay, well, rather than saying I'm going to cut out all of the chocolate that I eat, well, maybe what you do instead is you make sure you drink a glass of water before you're going to have the chocolate because nothing else you're going to have injected maybe two liters of water into your day and that's a good habit to form and you might find then that when you're drinking the water you are so distracted by the fact that you're trying to consciously drink more water that you're forgetting about eating the chocolate because you're not focusing on it as much so or eating more greens or you're like okay well i'm going to have the carbohydrates but i need to make sure i eat a plate a half a plate of green vegetables before I allow myself to eat the carbs and you might fill up on the green veg so you won't eat as many carbs so it, it is for me about like adding in things rather than always focusing on taking things out of our lives because especially at a time like this like life is hard enough right now like just go easy on yourself big time I, I, I'm delighted you brought up the chocolate thing I work with predominantly females and I'm a braver man to take chocolate off women and <laughs> I, I value my life way too much to do that. But one thing I encourage them to do is try to have, like, I don't know, a square or two squares a day. And then if they have it as two squares a day, they potentially, if they've come from, say, a yo-yo dieting background, what they try to do, they're almost automatically, with the habits and stuff like that, they stop seeing, saying chocolate as an, an almost bad food, in inverted commas. So they stop putting it up on a pedestal and it becomes a routine. So it removes that stigma. It's the same with carbohydrates. And I love your analogy of kind of putting the more more fruit and veg onto the plate and filling up with greens because your eyes, you eat with your eyes mainly. If your eyes are looking at a plate and sees it's full, full of greens, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's protein, carbohydrates or fats. But if your plate is full with, with greens, your stomach is going to be fuller quicker, almost mentally. So I, I'm delighted you brought that up. Um, yeah and I just think see I mean aesthetic like you said we eat with our eyes so it is all about the colours and it is all about what you do and and I think one of the the greatest travesties um, that has been I suppose incorporated into the world of food is this notion that there is such thing as good foods and bad foods like it's, it's not to disrespect um, any I suppose things that are currently out there but to me calling food a sin and and referring to food as a cheat I just think it, it's giving us really negative connotations attached to it, food. And to me, it's the badness doesn't come from the food. It's the quantity of it that we consume. Like like you just said, one or two squares of chocolate every day is not good. If you're eating a big, massive bar of chocolate every day, yes. And um, But to me, I just think it really develops this negativity. It's the same with exercise. I think a lot of people have been conditioned to think negatively when it comes to exercise like how many people do oh my god i don't want to go outside to exercise but if you think about all of the benefits of exercise you know leaving the aesthetic and how and how we look and but it's how we feel from exercise the dopamine hit that we get how it's better for our sleep it's better for our energy levels so if you only focus on those things you wouldn't have the same negative response for an exercise whereas often we've been conditioned to think about the bad stuff you know, the sweating and the being out of breath but then you're just you're doing the wrong exercise and find the exercise that you actually enjoy. So I would say the same about food. It just I really think that people are nearly self-sabotaging by calling food bad and a cheat and a sin. Because to me, something bad is like, you know, burning down a building. That's bad. You know, eating a bar of chocolate is not bad. And, you know, I think it's it's something I think that is nearly it, it's it's something I think that people are nearly forcing themselves then into putting this pressure on themselves and this guilt that comes then with foods that you eat. Like if you're going to have a takeaway, a one takeaway a week, and yet the rest of your week then is really good, you're making really informed decisions, you're eating good, unprocessed quality foods. Well, it's not going to be that takeaway that's going to make you put on a stone. You know, it's about balancing out your calories, understanding about calories in, 
coming versus calories out. It's like your bank account, you know? You, you can't take out more that's in your bank account. You have to make sure it's the exact same when it comes to food. You, you know, if you're eating more, then you need to exercise more and burn it off more. It's just, it's very simple. We don't need to complicate it, but I think referring to food as bad is definitely something that overcomplicates health. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the the sins, the bad foods, that stigma that's out there. And I think a lot of it has stemmed from social media. Well, not social media, magazines from back in the day. Um, and the kind of the crappy diets that are out then when our parents or our grandparents were out. Because I think the language that our parents use around food has definitely had an impact on on us. And like I've noticed since I became a nutritionist, when my when my parents say certain words and they ask me picture, uh, words or ask me about certain foods and stuff like that, I notice that their language around a certain food is mm-hmm. is quite negative. And I think if you have young kids, and I'm not telling anyone how to parent, but if you have young kids and you are using negative connotations towards food or how you talk about yourself or how you talk about food, that's going to have a massive, massive impact on your kids when they're older that's going to knock on to their yeah. the next generation i think we just need even like a tweak of a sentence or a tweak of a word or taking out the negativity out of the sentence i'm just having a little think before you say oh i don't like broccoli or i don't like mushrooms i would say i prefer not to have broccoli or i prefer not to have mushrooms can i have spinach instead something similar like that and mm, like i think for you're right about the the impact that it has on kids because or young adults as well, because we're we're all like sponges, you know, and it's like monkey see, monkey do. So if you do see, it doesn't necessarily have to be a parent, but it could be a, a person of significance. So whether it's a manager of a sports team or your favorite teacher or your sister or your parent, if you see them saying or doing something, well, that's going to have an impact on you. So if you have an older sister and she's standing in front of a mirror and she's grabbing parts of her body going, oh, my arms are big or oh, my hips are big or kids will see that and they'll think oh well that's that's normal like that's the right way to react it's the same with food if you have people in your family that are older than you and that have an impact on you and they're constantly doing fad diets and they're constantly have this real love hate relationship with food well it's very hard for you then not to kind of inadvertently kind of take on that um relationship as well like one of the things i'll say is when it comes to things like slimming worlds and weight watchers what I do like about them is the support structure that we have, that people yeah. are doing it together. That I, you know, that I think if if you're starting out and you're looking for ways to to stay on track long term, yes, that makes sense, you know. And and knowing that there's in people in there together, there's accountability. For me, it's the language. It's the language that we use around food, and the language that's being used in those is something that needs to change. Being educating people and making them more aware of the macros and food the calories and food that's perfectly okay and it's really good to arm yourself with that knowledge I just think it's about the language yeah i think the whole like using a sin as a certain word a connotation towards food is setting something up for disaster i'm not like i like i've done a full episode on slimmer world and my thoughts on it. like i as you said the community aspect's amazing i just I, I have a love-hate relationship. It keeps me in business. Um, like the it, like, most of my clients have come from that background. And I think when people are, they're always surprised that they can have, as you said, the takeaway, they can have the chocolate, they can have the alcohol, as long as they kind of work off balance. Like an 80-20 rule is generally what I kind of work off. That 80-20 rule of 80 wholesome, decent, nutritious food, 20% less nutritious, more processed food kind of ideology that can be 70 30 or 60 40 to someone else depending on what your goal is like i my clients know me as having an ice cream every single day i enjoy having my ice cream and i'm not going to give up my ice cream for kind of this stigma of have for the sake of having a six-pack it's 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 just not my i've i've been there with the six-pack i was miserable with the six-pack it wasn't attainable for me i had to go down a serious serious amount of weight in order to get there and i just wasn't i'm not prepared to for the sake of for, for photos it's fine for like the for yeah. what i was trying to do for the marketing stuff but for a general day-to-day walking around i don't think that was attainable and i think that was from myself i know from myself that was put on pressure on me from being in an in an industry where that is what you are supposed to look like, if you know what I mean. Yeah, um, and it, it's it's true. Like I, I I would be of the opinion um, in that with everything that you do, there's an opportunity cost. 
So whatever you decide to do in life, but in your career, like if you want to be the CEO of a company and earn the big bucks and have the power, well, that's amazing. But that might come at the opportunity cost of being able to spend more time with family or take more holidays the year and travel the world. Or maybe it's at the cost of your health that you might be your optimum weight because you're working such long hours that you don't have a chance to cook home meals or whatever it is. So everything we do in life is about choices. And you do need to understand. And we, I think we've been doing that more and more even in lockdown. What's important to you? Like for a lot of people when they were talking about what they were missing in their lives, it wasn't oh my God, I never got to go to the garage to pick up my brand new 2020 car or you know, the big fancy holiday it was the people that they missed most. And like even that Stephen um, COVID, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, like it, it talks, I suppose, for a lot of people, if you were to think about the most important things in your life, you were to clear your mind, if I was to line up 10 people and ask them, what are the two most important things in life for you? Go. The vast majority of people would say their health and their relationships. Yet up until now, up until like lockdown, a lot of people were spending so much time on the things that they didn't think were that important, like spending long hours at work and the long commutes. And they were spending less time on the things that were important to their relationships and their health. They weren't fitting in like exercise because in commas they didn't have time. They weren't spending as much time with their, their family members because work was taking over. And yet they, they're acknowledging now that they weren't the most important things. So it's about kind of reevaluating your choices and knowing that everything that you do, it has an impact. So he said, maybe for some people, having the six pack is what they want. And that comes at the cost of going out for lovely dinners with your friends and, you know, being able to have your takeaways. But then it's just the choice that you then have to you live with. Um, and I, I think I've been really lucky coming from a background in sport that growing up as a teenager, when they're really vulnerable years and, you know, especially teenage girls are going through a lot of uh, uncertainty and, and uncomfortable situations that it comes to your body. But I looked at my body in terms of what it could do rather than how it looked. And I think it's a, it was a really positive way for me to see my own body image. Like, was I always happy with my body? No. Am I now as a, a woman in my 30s? No. But it's not about loving every aspect of your body. It's about accepting your body and focusing on what it can do and the limits that you can push past and how you can get stronger and leaner and faster, not skinnier so that you could fit into a size smaller pair of jeans. Because to me, if you focus on the numbers all the time, you're never gonna be happy. Because there's always gonna be somebody in a smaller pair of jeans. There's always gonna be somebody that has more followers than you on social media. There's always gonna be somebody that has a bigger bra size. Like, if you're always focusing on numbers, you will never, you will never be happy because it could be a case of, I'll be happy when. I'll be happy when I'm skinnier. I'll be happy when I have a bigger house. And it's like, no, no, you need to accept your situation for here and now. Yeah, it's really good to have goals and make improvements in your life, but you have to accept yourself for who you are. And I think when it comes to, to your body, that's why sport is invaluable for younger people, is that it shows you what you can do. It's like an instrument in which you can, you know, achieve things as opposed to just being this aesthetic, you know, as, as to, to sum it up, your body isn't like it's an instrument. It's not an ornament. I love the sentence of what my body can do, not what it looks like. I absolutely love that. And I think to add a little bit more onto that is what I try to encourage with my clients with kind of like, particularly with females, this is not a sexist comment. It, from from working with females predominantly, they seem to have a little bit more of a inclination to get upset with the scales. And Dan lads, um, don't get me wrong, some lads. But I don't, I don't weigh myself. I honestly couldn't tell you. I can't remember the last time I weighed myself even though I have a really healthy um, relationship with understanding about weight and it's not just about weight it's about muscle and you know and, and and body fat and all the things that come with that I still just don't see the point in weighing myself like unless it's for a medical why do I need to know how much I weigh yeah and like it's so many like I would say on a daily basis I get a question about how do I get away from the scales how do I need to go and get body fat percentages done it's like no like you're not an elite athlete why would you need to go and get body fat percentages done and what I say to my clients is you don't go into a shop looking for a size 70 kilos you go into a shop looking for a size 6 8 12 10 whatever it may be so it's 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 mad I find it absolutely bonkers how people talk to themselves so negatively i've been there myself i was i was very very skinny as a teenager and then put on an awful lot of weight in my 20s and then got ill and then i had to make the shift 
and that's when I kind of had this epiphany moment as they call it um, I made the shift so I've had two the two extremes mm-hmm. but I think what has made me realize how I've talked to myself is through those lows and sometimes we almost need to go through the lows to go to the highs and that's potentially what's coming out of COVID at the minute yeah but also as well and, and that's it's a really good point I think we, we like I say go back to the self-acceptance part it's okay if you don't love every single aspect of your body like that's completely okay and I think sometimes nearly there is a pressure now to love yourself because we've been told left, right and centre, love your roles, love your cellulite. And with the greatest respect in the world that, that that message brings, it also brings this idea that we have to love it. There's only a pressure on ourselves to love it. And if, to me, the way I see that is if you're highlighting your cellulite and you know excess weight and varicose veins and all these things that we're meant to love, well, it kind of defeats the purpose. If you're saying I love them, why are you highlighting them? Because by highlighting them, you're kind of making them stand out. And you're, you know, if you love yourself, you shouldn't be pointing out your flaws, you know, because you should just love yourself as a whole. So to me, it's nearly counterproductive to say, well, I love myself and I love myself. Like, look at this here, look at this roll of fat. Look at this here, look at this vein. And it just, we're, we're telling ourselves that we need to love it, but we don't. It's okay to say, you know what? I'm not very happy about it, but I'm going to accept that it's part of who I am. Um, and maybe I'll work towards you know getting fitter or getting getting a little bit leaner or, or doing whatever it is. But um, I, like I think men sometimes go through this too, but there isn't as as much of an opportunity to talk about it as it is there is women. I think it's much more accepted that women have body insecurities, whereas I think you know it's a it's a tough world being a teenage lad or a young man as well because Big they're time. expected to have the abs and they're expected to have you know the biceps like like pop it out of their t-shirts now and it's to understand them too the fundamentals don't change like i know you've said it before that like so many things can contribute to our weight so whether it's your salt intake to me one of the biggest things is your cortisol levels your stress levels when i know for me even in lockdown i was training a lot at home and i still am eating relatively well because i wanted to make sure that when i eat well my mood is is the best it can be so i knew if my mood was already vulnerable I certainly wasn't going to be pumping myself with loads of alcohol because I know that that's, that has a negative impact on me. So I was trying to be as healthy as I could and I was still feeling really soft. And I was really frustrated. And I was like, like, I'm totally overlooking the big thing here and that I'm stressed right now. You know, I'm not working as much as I normally am. I'm missing my friends and family. So those cortisol levels are high in my system. So that's going to have an impact on how I look and how I feel. So I was kind of acknowledging that as well. That's okay if you're not in peak fitness, you know, just this lockdown isn't meant to be, you know, you getting into competition mode or, you know, trying to be the best version of yourself you can be aesthetically. It's just about exercising for your mind, like ignoring the body, just like, like knowing what exercise can do for your mind is the reason why I do exercise. For me, the aesthetic then afterwards, it's, it's, it's a great side effect, but it's not as important as what exercise does for my mind. I would 100% say that. I would 100% is my reason is it's like my 30 minutes to an hour each day or every second day or whatever it is for me to kind of see if I can push myself see if I can go for a PB or else even the walks to make sure that that's my zone out time get a little bit of music in or just zone out from the phone completely and I've started to do yeah. that now it's so so important like if you like your biggest enemy is between your your two ears and if you don't have that under control and the thoughts that are going on and that the rest of it, it, it like it, you could have a six pack or, or whatever but you couldn't you could be unwell upstairs and but and if you're unwell upstairs like is it really really like is a six pack worth it being unwell upstairs if that's what you're striving for and i think a lot of people need to kind of get away from this whole perfection thing perfection doesn't exist like if I was looking for a partner, my taste would be completely different to one of the lads. Like perfection doesn't exist. Yeah. It, it's like everyone, it, everyone's taste is different. And like some girl who's looking at me be like, okay, he's he's too small or whatever. And then if you're looking at someone else, they'd be like, no, I want the kind of the rugby player built. So everyone has a different style. Everyone has a different taste. Everyone has a different look that they're looking for and you have to be comfortable with what you want to be you only have one you and if you're not looking after you it, it's it's not going to be great yeah like it's tough like you mentioned the word perfection like what what i find sometimes like we're, we're all susceptible to you know falling to you know 
this belief that we, we don't measure up to, to some level of perfection but it's always like asking yourself the question but whose level of perfection is this like who created this perfect look you know because even if you look at the female body it's it's evolved so much throughout the decades yeah. you know we had Kate Moss in the 90s the Marilyn Monroe in decades ago so it's like who is creating this and we, we all kind of need to take a little bit of ownership back because we're all, like you said, like we're all different shapes and sizes. No matter what, I am never going to be 5'10". You know, like I'm never going to have long legs. I'm 5'5". Five five. I'm built like a really muscular frame. I sprinted when I was younger. So I have really big quads and hamstrings and I'm short. So my legs look like that. And that's the way they are. And it, again, as I said, it's about accepting them and then looking at the benefits of the power that that has allowed me to incorporate into my game for years as a camogie player. So, like, it's a, the, the word perfection for me should be replaced with the word progress, you know? Because no matter what you're doing in life, you can strive for perfection, but you can always strive for progress. And 1% of progress is still progress. And it's like somebody will say, if you're going to run a marathon, you have to start with completing the first kilometer and completing one kilometer when you're not a runner and you've never ran before and you complete that one kilometer, that is going to give you that same dopamine hit, that same high from when you cross that line over the 42 kilometers after running a marathon, because it's that, it's a little bit of progress. If you're trying to fit into the little black dress and you're, you know, you're working really hard towards it. And all of a sudden you're putting on your clothes that you wear every single day and they feel a little bit better. If they feel a little bit looser, that is going to give you the same high as eventually fitting into whatever dress you want to fit into for the party or the wedding. So I would always say that to people, 1% of progress is still progress. So focus on the progress aspect of anything rather than trying to achieve this level of perfection. Because when I would work with clients even, and they, they have a goal and we drill down into it, and you're like, if you're not a runner, so if you are not a runner, you shouldn't be comparing yourself to people that go out for park runs every single Saturday. Like your chapter one is somebody else's chapter 20. And we're all guilty of it sometimes comparing yourself. Like I remember when I started out doing um, handstands and a friend of mine is an absolute pro with them. And I was feeling just so inferior. It's like, I'm never going to get to her stage. And then I was like, well, stop worrying about her because she's been doing this for years. So we all need to pick our own starting point and focus on that, not worry about what anybody else is doing because, you know, is looking at somebody that's an expert in what you want to become an expert in, is it going to make you feel better or worse? It's going to make you feel worse. It's great to get advice off them, but then you need to go in and work for yourself and stop worrying about what everybody else is doing. And as you mentioned earlier on, that idea of comparing ourselves to others. Like it's, it's good to have people to look up to and people that inspire you. It can put a pressure on ourselves sometimes too that we need to be as good as them whereas you have to kind of you have to follow that process that's where the progress is really important then because it allows you to have little milestones like when we were playing with cork and i was captain back in 2014 we had milestones that we had like that we put in place in order to get to the all-ireland because if you're back in november running in the misery and the muck of, of winter September seems a very long way away in terms of if you only have the goal of winning the All Ireland in September, what are you going to do between November and September? Whereas if you think about all the little steps and all the little milestones that you can hit to get to September, well, then when you hit that milestone, it gives you that same sense of achievement and it keeps you on track. And then if you are struggling to get to the, mile, the next milestone, it gives you something positive to look back on and be like, well, remember when we hit that? Remember when we all got under 17 seconds and we ran 100 meters every one of us well okay well now we need to do this and you know remember what it felt like when we did that and you know remember the rewards that we gave ourselves we all went away for a bonding weekend away well you know that kind of nearly fuels your your motivation then to keep going to the next thing and i suppose that's what i would say is when it comes to progress when you're making milestones always give yourself a tangible reward now again going back to food you should never call food a reward to really dangerous path to go down but when it like identify what you enjoy like if you love shopping and you love shoes well then if you hit a big milestone in the lead up to a goal buy yourself a pair of shoes or put 50 euro aside to pick to buy that pair of shoes because what that will do is when you eventually get the shoes 
the, the feeling that you attach to those shoes will remind you of the reason why you bought them in the first place. And that was because you achieved that milestone. I do it all the time. I've got a, I've got a wardrobe load of shoes upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really good because it does. It keeps me on track. It, it, it's like, you know, all, all my hard work has, you know, has been put into buying this pair of shoes. Then, and it reminds me of why I was working hard in the first place. Yeah, and I think I think a lot of people I've definitely fallen guilty of this is that like all work and no play, and I've definitely fallen that into that that like I you work 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 and then you potentially don't reward yourself like you've said with say a pair of shoes or whatever it may be, and uh, and I think a lot of people forget to do that. But the fact that you've mentioned like the one percent like that's basically what Team Sky was based on when they started doing British cycling and the main guy for that that's how he created the most successful Olympic cycling team was winning on the 1%, the 1% margins. And it is basically yeah. what you are doing over time. Like it's it relate relate back to the food. One one meal is not going to make you fat or obese. Yeah. It's one meal is not going to make you thin or lean. It's what you do over time. It's that 80/20. If you are win it's like a football match. If you're winning on aggregate, you're going to win. Mm-hmm. And that Yeah, and it's true. And like I would work when I work with people I and um, I kind of tap into that one percent mentality because even when I was playing team sports if every if every player gave one percent extra for themselves that's 15 percent extra that's going to be added on to the output of the performance of your team like, that's a lot so if you were to focus on one percent improvements like you know there's 168 hours in a week 24 hours in a day like 1440 minutes if you were to give one percent of your day that's just under 15 minutes and if I was to say to you, if you were to use 1% of your day every day for a year to work towards learning a new skill or a, a new goal, that's over 90 hours in a year. If I asked you at the start of the year, could you give me 90 hours? I need 90 hours in order to go, I just don't have the time. I just, I couldn't do that. 90 hours is a lot of time. Whereas 15 minutes every day seems far more realistic. So it is about people breaking things down in their minds. That's why milestones are so important when it comes to reaching a goal. Because if you can break something down and your mind doesn't become overwhelmed or freaked out about it, well, then you're far more likely to stick to it. So telling someone that I need 90 hours in in a year in order for you to become good at this doesn't sound achievable. Whereas saying to somebody, all I need from you is 15 minutes every single day for a year. Well, then they're like, only 15 minutes, really? And then before you know it, you've actually given that time, but it just doesn't seem as overwhelming. Yeah, I think that I think that's an amazing message because I think a lot of people do kind of get bogged down when they first start out doing anything. It doesn't matter if it's starting out a career or it's going on a weight loss journey or a fitness journey. It can seem daunting. You're looking at everyone else yeah. in the gym. You're looking at you're looking at the, the the bodies you're seeing, and you're kind of like, can I ever get to that? But you're also comparing your chapter one, as you've alluded to, to some, someone else's chapter twenty. You don't know what they've had to do, but what they've had to do is the repetitions over time. And then eventually they've got, they've built the muscle, they've built the strength, they've built all that kind of stuff. And I think a lot of people just forget that it, it is, it is time. Like time is not sexy. And it, it's, it's one of those things that a lot of people just don't want to put the, the hard work in or not prepared to do it. And it is important to pick something that you actually want to do that it isn't put on top of you by say friends, peers, and it has to be something that's attached to you. Do you want to go run an Ironman? Do you want to get ready to be looked your best for the say the 10th of August when potentially lockdown is happening? Do you want to get ready for a holiday? Do you want to get ready for a night out or whatever it may be? It has to be something for you. You have to figure out your why. Without your why, it's it's going to be a struggle because if you don't have a why and all these challenges kind of come into place, you, you'll get distracted. You'll get thrown off course. And that's that's a message from a book called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Yeah. Um, and it's 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 like I I read I started reading that book at the beginning of lockdown it's weird when a book hits you that like when things are happening um yeah it, it's, it's and they say that like you might read a book and that you mightn't be ready for it at whatever place in, in your life you're at and then you might pick it up again a few years later and in that moment it is so much it resonates so much more with you because you're either in a position to take it on board or you're open to new experiences or maybe you're you're reading something that now is hitting hard because you've directly experienced it like Simon Siddick talked a lot as well about that idea of your why and like what I would say to people is it's totally okay to become demotivated sometimes we all can't have your motivation all the time whereas that's why that purpose and that why is so important because that's what you go back to so if you don't want to 
exercise and you just you're not in the mood for it go back to your why and maybe your why is well i need to get healthier to make sure I'm, i stay alive for my grandkids to play with them well that's going to get you out of bed and that's going to get you to go for the run because that's your why and once your why is strong enough that's where the motivation comes from and again i suppose that's where building habits and putting those systems in place can help you on the days that you don't have that same level of motivation um, and I think that's probably what's really important is people sometimes need to drill down into that why. I mean, when I think about it myself, even as a GA player transitioning from that world when I retired into being a performance coach and, and working in broadcasting and TV, like, you know, I was, I was, um, I doubted myself at times and I was like, oh my God, am I good enough? And like that I was guilty of comparing my chapter one to you know, other people's chapter 20, people that have been in the industry years and wondering, oh, would I ever be like them? And I'm not good enough because I, I don't compare to them. And it was like, again, going back to my why. Why are you doing this? And ultimately, I love working in the world of radio and broadcasting because I love the energy that comes from working with people. And it's quite similar in ways to running out Crow Park and all our final day. Because when they say we're going live in five seconds, you have to be ready. You have to be tuned in. You have to be switched on. You don't want to make mistakes because there's, you know, there's no room for mistakes. But when mistakes inevitably happen, you can't dwell on them. You have to keep going. It's the same in a match. You know, there's no room for mistakes, but ultimately they're always going to happen. But it's how you cope with those mistakes. Then if you're live on radio and you make a mistake, you can't stop and say, we're going to have to start again. You know, you have to keep going and, and react to it. The same in, our, in a camogie match. You have to react and keep moving forward. So, you know, in ways that adrenaline rush that comes from being in broadcasting is the same that comes from an all Ireland final day. Now, it's never going to replace it. Like, it's never going to replace it. I'll stress that again. But it's a good substitute. And, like, the reason why I love being a performance coach is ultimately I love helping people. I love people, like, being able to find a way at 1% to make themselves feel better either whether that's physically or mentally or like whether it's them realizing their potential or ambition or understanding that you know it doesn't really matter what other people think about you it's what you think about you that matters you know because we all have it i came from small rural community in north Cork. we all have this fear well the vast majority have this fear of what other people think of us oh god they think i've got notions about myself oh god you know and this fear sometimes, that fear of judgment stops us from doing things. But it's like, well, what, what do you what do you want to get out of your life? Who do you want to be? You know, what would you be doing right now if you didn't have that fear of what other people think of you? And that's ultimately why I left the career I was in. I was working in the corporate environment for eight years. And I always had a fear of leaving it because it's like, oh, God, what would people think? Or what, if I don't have an inverted commas, a real job, you know, it's not a pensionable job. I mean, one of my friends dads asked me when I left my job after about six months and I was working in radio and studying to be a performance coach and he's like when are you going to go back now and get a real job and like he didn't mean anything by it but I understood what he meant because you know in his mind I, I had no structure I didn't have the, the guaranteed pension or I didn't have the guaranteed hours but I loved that because I knew what I was doing I had a passion for it. and it was like ultimately what's your why I want to help people feel better about themselves and, you know, with radio and TV, it's about bringing an energy and enthusiasm and, you know, and just cheering people up and making people feel better about themselves. Because there's so many things in the world right now that make people feel worse. So I suppose that I try in my job to give people a little bit of a lift. And then in turn, that gives me a lift. So once I can keep doing that and go back to my why, it just, you know, it allows me to keep doing what I'm doing and keep learning. And even if I do make the mistakes, it's just about, you know, driving on and, you know, metaphorically just going for the next ball I when you were talking about the corporate world and the so-called real job pension I was just I was just nodding I was like all of this was me probably like three <laughs> years ago it, it, it's you, you we also come up with these stories that we tell ourselves that, and we kind of glorify stories that we tell ourselves and it's like it's a story it's not a fact like we mm-hmm. we build up these anxiety levels and stress ourselves out that X will happen, Y will happen and how often, doesn't matter what it is how often does does the thing that we're that in our head actually happen um, with the yeah. disasters that we create and that could be anything from like asking someone out on a date or that could be asking someone on a podcast or whatever it may be, all they can say is all they can say is no and then you just kind of move on or like 
if they say yes, happy days. But if they say no, it's it's just move on. It wasn't meant to be. And I think we just yeah. need to kind of stop stop telling ourselves and kind of actually start challenging our actual thoughts. And one of the things that I'm trying to use at the minute is journaling big time is trying to like have a positive affirmation at the end of every single day. So the last thing that comes into my head at the end of at the end of every day is I write down something onto a page and that's the last thing that comes into my head before I go to sleep. So it ends up on a high and then I wake up and I know the days that I don't do it are the days I don't feel as energetic. Yeah. And it is, it's about finding things that work for you. Like and I think that's really important for people listening to understand that maybe journaling isn't for you maybe meditation isn't for yeah. you maybe running isn't for you and you need to find the things that are are right for you like me for example i don't particularly enjoy running and um, i do it more frequently like because i find it's good for headspace but i actually find a brisk walk is more enjoyable for me than running but i was forcing myself to run more because it was kind of in vogue everyone's going for runs and i was like oh, i need to do that too and I was nearly dreading the run to the point where I was nearly putting it off, waiting for the rain to come. Well, I can't go now. It's rainy outside. Whereas the idea of going for a long, brisk walk actually invigorated me. And I was like, yeah, I can, you know, put a podcast in. I could bring a friend, you know. And it was it was far more mindful for me and far more, like, positive for me to look forward to going for the walk than dread going for the run. Whereas somebody else did the idea of going for a walk. They'd be like, that's boring. You know, I love going for the run. I love moving faster. So it is about finding what works for you and and doing that. Um, and then trying new things is really positive. But if they don't work, they don't work. You know, trial and error. Just I think that's a it's a big thing to come out of um of all of this is what's right for you isn't isn't right for somebody else. So don't be focusing on what everyone else is doing. Just find the small little rituals in your day that make you feel good. Um and again, it's about replacing. One of the things I would say is replacing the word should with the word what. And yeah. again, I was guilty of this during lockdown. So rather than saying I should be doing this, I should be doing that, we'll say, well, okay, hang on. Are you saying it because you want the aspirational you wants to do this or just the real you want to do this? And I found, well, okay, the aspirational me wants to be a master banana bread baker. And then I was like, yeah, but I don't really particularly like banana bread. So I'm like, okay, what do you want to do? Okay, well, instead, I want to, you know, see what I'm like in making scones because I love a scone with, like, a bit of cream, a bit of jam. Like, okay, well, make them then. It mightn't be as popular to make a scone. Or maybe you don't want to make any scone. Maybe you just want to drive to the local shop and buy the scone. So it is about focusing on what you want to do rather than what you feel you should be doing. If you are using the word should a lot in your life, reevaluate things, replace it with the word want, and you'll find that you'll actually end up doing things that you enjoy rather than things you are doing so that other people will think you're great 100% it is how you, it's, it's, it is funny how simple language can change your attitude towards something whether yeah. it be meeting up with someone or as you said exercise and one of the key that I've been working on with my clients is simply put on your gym gear at like in the first thing in the morning or whenever you've kind of finished your whatever time you're meant to finish work at and that will be an automatic cue into your head right they would have been doing it normally so they'd be like all right i'm gonna go for a walk or else i'm gonna do my my 30 minute 40 minute workout and it's funny how little cues can build up over time as we've been speaking about the one thing that yeah. you mentioned there is is the the team and kind of having friends and community and family all that kind of stuff um have like it's so so important to have those people around you and you were quite lucky you had an amazing group of girls that were very very successful with the team you also have an amazing husband an amazing family now uh, as well and it like it has that been a big part of your life and what would you what would be any advice for anyone out there that may not have that support if you know what i mean yeah i mean it is i have been very lucky that i've um i've had really good support structures and and as ridiculous as this sounds i do think the number one support structure you need to have is yourself you know, because, you know, you spend the most time with yourself than anyone else. So it's no good if you've got family and friends around you that te are telling you you're great and then you're telling yourself the opposite. So you have to be your own support. That's the most important thing. So whether that's telling yourself you can do something or writing down all the positives that you like about yourself or, you know, setting yourself, you know, realistic milestones when you're working towards a goal you have to be your own best support then you need to look at the people around you and who you're spending your most time with during the day and decide 
is it making me feel better or worse? Now, look, I get it. We all have people in our lives that they're there and you can't get rid of them because, you know, they might be someone that whether you like it or not, they're stuck with you, whether it's a boss or a neighbor or a family member. But you do need to limit the time that you spend with them because if they're having a negative impact on you, what I would always do is if I have to have a conversation with someone I know sucks the life out of me, well, then I'll instantly have a conversation afterwards <clears throat> with someone I know that's going to feel, fill me with positivity and it's going to lift my mood. Um, so it's really important to identify that. Like I divide two people into things like energy trains and energy drains, and we have both in our lives. And you need to identify who the drains are, and then you need to counter counter them with the trains. You know, like I have a best friend. She's so positive. She sees the best in everybody. She never really bitches about anybody, and she's just a joy to be around. So if I know I have to have a negative conversation with somebody, I know I'm ringing her afterwards because I know five minutes of conversation with her is going to lift my mood. So going back to yourself as well maybe you're an energy drain for yourself maybe you're an energy drain for other people would you rather be an energy drain for your friends and your family or an energy drain ask yourself that question if we all know that scientifically that there's one energy drain in every single friendship group colleague group team go through the people that you hang around with and be like okay that's she's a train she's a train i'm not sure about her if you can't find that energy drain in the group that you're in and there's one in every group, well, then ask yourself the question, are you the drain? And I think sometimes people could be, like, shocked. I said, oh, God, yeah, no, I am always the person that on a Tuesday is giving out that it's not Friday, it's not the weekend. I'm always the person that's finding fault, finding the negative. And you can change that. Like, you can change your negative mindset into a positive one. It can be difficult because, as human beings, we all kind of default to the negative, I think, naturally enough. Big time. Um, but you can, you can work on being a more positive person. And if you can be a more positive person for yourself and then identify the people in your group that bring that, that sense of um, encouragement and positivity, then, you know, you're halfway there. Yeah, the, I, the, the energy drain v energy train thing is an amazing analogy. And I was listening to something during the week with Sam Burgess, who used to play league and union for England. And mm-hmm. he was talking about the 2015 World Cup with England and the politics and he went he went from league and he was like probably the cristiano ronaldo of league in the uk and australia at the time and then went to union and he went to bat and he said the politics and the drain and the energy just sucked the life out of him and that was the reason there was politics and the coaches seemed to be involved with the 2015 rugby team and the drain on the whole team was the reason why the 2015 world cup was an absolute farcical or an absolute farce for the rugby team because there was so much drain and he yeah. he took it upon himself to ring up Eddie Jones um in the at the last World Cup and say these are the people that are going to drain the the team and to watch out for them. And I, he he was like I, he doesn't know if Eddie Jones was going to listen to him or not. But I felt it was a very very raw interview and the fact that he spoke about it so openly and how he has the positive energy around him. And like if you look at if you look at the elite the elite they all have their support network. They all have their their close friends who they've probably grown up with, and, yeah. and who are going to support them. If you look at Cristiano Ronaldo, his best friend's his mom. Yeah, and that's the thing. But like I mean. You look at you look at elite athletes, and, and if you studied what they do, they're always their own biggest supporter. Because if you don't believe you can do it, how would you expect to convince anyone else that you can? So you have to believe it yourself first. Look at Michael Jordan. Everyone's talking about the Last Dance. I know he openly told people that he was the best player in the NBA, and then he backed it up. But if he was telling himself he wasn't the best, well, then chances are his performances would reflect that. Now you do need to be realistic as well. I mean, I'm not. What I say, to people is. Be led by your ambition, but be grounded by your reality. So I'm not going to turn around and say, I am going to be the best golfer in the world in 2021 because the fact that I don't play much golf, that's not going to happen. So it is about being realistic, but whatever it is that you're working towards, you do have to believe you can get there. You know, and if you, and if the people that surround you and you don't believe it, well, then the chances of you actually getting there are definitely hampered. It's not impossible. Like we've all seen people coming out of adversity and coming out of negative situations when they, you know, they work hard and even though everyone else is telling them they can't do it, they nearly use that as a motivator to prove people wrong. That can happen. But if somebody's constantly telling you that you're not good enough and constantly putting you down, that does take, uh, I suppose, it does take its toll on your self-esteem. And if you allow that voice in your head to say, well, maybe I'm not good enough and maybe that doubt comes in, 
then it is going to, you know, it's definitely going to hamper the the progress that you're going to make in, in achieving whatever it is that you're setting out to achieve. So be your own biggest supporter. Be realistic in what you can do, but you have to, you know, be the biggest supporter for yourself first and foremost. Yeah, and I'm delighted you brought up the last dance because I think everyone's obsessed with it at this stage. I don't think 10 episodes was enough, to be honest with you. Mm. Uh, and like, I think, you know, people have their own opinions on it and it's, you know, that's the beauty of a documentary like that is people will make up their own mind. Um, and some people, Michael Jordan was an absolute genius and then other people were like, ah, oh, no, he was a bully and there was this and that. But it's, it's you know, it's you. You can assess whatever you're coming from and often people will have, opinions based on their own perspective of sport or their own perspective of whatever it is the environment that they're coming from or thinking about when they think about a documentary or read a book or listen to a podcast so people might find that they might watch that documentary in a year's time and kind of a different feeling towards it because they're in a different place in their life you know and like i personally loved it i loved how he set a level and a standard and an expectation for everyone and they had to buy into it whereas other people saw that as just he wasn't a nice teammate and but I've had teammates down through the years who at the time I probably cursed because I was like they're never happy they're never satisfied they're always giving out to me they're always on my back but now years later I look back and say well they made me the player I was because they didn't settle for mediocre they, they knew I had it in me to be better and they didn't settle until I delivered that so you know everyone's got a different take on it and um yeah so that's the beauty of a documentary it's meant to bring out the fires and against it's meant to bring out the debate um otherwise to me it's you know whatever whether it's a book or a documentary or whatever it's not you know it's not going to have the plot it's like like that the last dance has yeah it, it like it is it's interesting you said about the different comments and different opinions people will have on michael jordan after that like everyone has a different opinion whoever i've spoken about that he was he was an ass but then other people were like he was just very very driven and very laser focused and then they were like he was an absolute bully but he was like he knew what he wanted and he wanted to try and create a team environment like he 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 openly spoke about the teammate was it steve um who's yeah yeah who he who by his own admission would say that he wasn't the greatest athlete of all time like he was he was quite short for a basketball player but he was there to be a team player he knew he wasn't going to be the elite but he was there he was happy enough being the the team player doing the donkey work for michael and the rest of the team but he was happy enough to do that and sometimes you also have to, like he he knew that that was his kind of like limitation or his role in the in the in the in the team um, and, and that he was happy enough with that and sometimes people just have to kind of reassess and kind of maybe say to themselves well this is what I want to be and that maybe this is where I am at and potentially have those kind of limits to themselves as well because as you said I'm not going to be gonna as you said a professional golfer next year it's not going to happen but I think with Steve Kerr like and, and in general it's people identifying the positives and the role they can play in whatever they're doing so whether it's in a, you know in a maybe you're not the person in a in a business that's the one giving the presentations or maybe you're not the person that's the closing pitch to seal a deal but maybe your strength lies in the preparation of the presentation and the attention to detail and that's what Steve Kerr did is he acknowledged that hard work beats talent if talent doesn't work hard so he knew he was going to work harder than anybody and and get the best out of himself. And Michael Jordan did acknowledge that when he turned around to Steve Kerr in that match and said, be ready. He trusted him to say, well, you've earned your place in this team. You've brought your strengths to the table. They're not they're not the same as my strengths, but they're still valuable to the contribution of this team. And he gave him the chance to win the match. So for anybody, what I would say to people is acknowledging your strengths, they don't have to be the same as anybody else's. But Michael, like Michael Jordan had weaknesses. And I suppose that's why... That's why Steve Kerr was, you know, he was a more likable teammate that people would say. A lot of the people, a lot of people that played with Mike Jordan were intimidated by him. Yeah. But he had his strengths and all the teammates had theirs. That's why a team environment is so important. Because if everybody had the same strengths and same weaknesses, well, that would be very limiting for a group. Whereas if everybody brings different strengths to the table, it kind of, your strengths can be my weaknesses. So we actually help each other out. Anna, what is coming up next for you? Yeah, well, I suppose at the moment we're just trying to see how this um, this plan um, is going to go in terms of lifting restrictions and um, like Ireland's fittest family is thankfully coming back. We got the green light during the week. Um, there's going to be a few changes, obviously, in terms of making sure that we adhere to any guidelines. But 
we're going to be starting filming that at the end of the summer. So it's going to be a few months delayed, but they're currently actually looking for families. So I think, you know what, people have been um, missing sport and missing the action for so long. This might be your family's chance to do something completely different and maybe it's giving you time to spend more time with your family and you realise you're not that they're not that bad after all and you actually get to do that. So that's something I'm really looking forward to. I've been involved now for six years, so I love it because I love how families can come together and you know, get the best out of themselves in ways they never thought they could. Their communication gets better. They get on better as a family. Sometimes there's a, a person within the family group that in their mind thinks they're the weakest. In actual fact, they turn out to be the strongest member of the family. Um, so that's wonderful to watch that unfold and see the, just the sheer delight on families' faces when they're like, oh my God, I can't believe we did this together. Um, I'm working on one or two other documentaries that have, been potentially postponed but that will hopefully when everything kind of um resumes that will around the world of of sport and why we drop out of sport and the benefits of sport but looking at it in a really real life situation so there'll be more to come of that now in the coming months which i'm really excited about and i think even you know pumped up kicks on today fm it's it's hard to believe that this time last year that wasn't even a thing you know that um, it's just growing that with deck and learning and just I guess like really with me I I love the idea of always trying to be a little bit better and um, because there's so many people around me that are excellent at what they do and I'm constantly learning from them so if I can keep that side of things up then and keep learning in the performance coaching and keep working with just kind of helping people feel better about themselves and, and you know get you know get better in terms of performing whether it's in relationships or in, you know in their life in general or at work well then it's uh it's hopefully going to be a busy few months. So, um, yeah, we've, we've all had the downtime now. I'm, I'm kind of ready to hit the ground running again. <laughs> I wish you the, the very best luck with everything. And, I, so much, and I, I'll put in the link to for where people can apply for the Ireland's Fittest Family. I wish you yeah. the best of luck with everything. And thank you so much for your time today and stay safe for the rest of Great chat. COVID. Thanks a million. Stay safe, you too. Bye-bye. Thank you. Guys, thank you so much for listening to the episode. If you guys have enjoyed it at all, please do tag Anna and I up on your story. And if you could be amazing people, please do leave an, a review up on iTunes as well. It's been incredible to get the, the guests that I'm getting on at the minute. I'm really, really excited to see where else we can push this podcast to. So the, the support has been amazing and I cannot thank you enough for it. So once you keep supporting it, I'll keep getting guests on. And I'm really, really excited to, to hear the feedback on this one, guys. It's been awesome to have a chat with Anna. Stay safe, guys, and I'll talk to you very soon.